Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 86 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. We're super excited to be back here on the pod as we lead up to Omaha. We are going to have a lot of fun episodes this week. We're obviously going to dive in to what we have ahead this coming weekend in the College World Series, uh, which is why it's super exciting to be here today with Jacob Rudner. He covers Florida Gators uh, with 24-7 sports. He's in his second year covering the Gators. He covers all of baseball, basketball, and football. So, Jacob, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me. Of course, of course. So, obviously, this season's been a lot of fun for the Gators. Uh, they're, they're currently um, sitting at... 50 and 15 and and have had a really successful year. And obviously the trip to Omaha, I'm sure you're excited to get out there to Nebraska and and be able to experience the college world series in person. But what are your kind of initial thoughts as you kind of look at how this season has gone up to this point and, and what has been so fun and enjoyable to watch this team play? Yeah. I mean, this is a dominant Gator team. I think that uh, the biggest takeaway from the entirety of the season is that, this has always been a group that had the, the capacity to win it all. And I think that that was apparent as long ago as, as January when we watched this team in preseason workouts. You could tell, uh, you know, they had the pitching, they had the bullpen, they had the lineup and the firepower to be able to go as far as they're going. Uh, and that materialized over the course of the season. And it, and it was fun to cover. It was, it was dominance pretty much every single weekend. Florida lost only two weekend series throughout the entirety of the season. Uh, and if, you know, if you know how strong SEC baseball is, that's you know very difficult to do. So uh, this is a team that was historically good. Its offense was was incredibly fun to cover. Obviously, uh, guys like Jack Caglione and, and Wyatt Langford are really special. And so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that the takeaway from the regular season really was just dominance through and through. You know, I I think that 
on the whole, you know, this is a, a kind of an interesting field, and, and I know we still have a couple teams as we sit here and talk yet to punch their ticket uh, through. But, you know, Wake Forest is obviously the number one overall seed. They're kind of the favorites, and, you know, they've been very impressive this postseason. You have the exciting stories like, you know, Oral Roberts, who's the Cinderella, who's, who's made their way there. And, you know, LSU's uber talented. They have the guys who could go one, two overall in the draft. And then you have kind of Florida sitting there. And they could have made a case to be number one in the country, and they've handled their business without a problem, but they're still not getting the hype. Is that, like, from your opinion and kind of the vibes around that team, is, do they like the position they're in in the sense that, you know, they're not getting all the love and attention that Wake is or an Oral Roberts or LSU, but they're probably just as talented as all those teams? No, there's no doubt about it. But I, honestly, Dan, I think that the reality with this Florida team is that they just don't care. Uh, I, I think that this is a group that has been, you know, uh, built and formed to feel in a way that the rankings do not matter. Uh, what matters is how they go out and play and, and how many games they're able to secure and win. Uh, and they've done a lot of that. And Kevin O'Sullivan, I think, would reiterate that sentiment. It's just that, uh, you know, the numbers don't matter. They're going to have to win no matter what rank they are. They're going to have to win no matter who they play. Uh, and, and so I don't know that this is a team that really feels disrespected or underrated in any sense. Uh, I think they know how good they are, and, and they've proven so with their record. And then how much of that is is a credit to Coach O'Sullivan and the fact that like that's just kind of his his manner, and he's been there, he's done that, he's won a national championship. How much of that is them kind of taking on the identity of him, of that kind of just, we don't care about the outside noise, we know what the job is, and we're just going to go out there and handle it? I, I think all the credit is due to him. This is a guy who has established a culture over the course of nearly two decades. Uh, this is a guy who has... Uh, you know, implemented a culture of winning over the course of the last, again, nearly two decades. Uh, coming into this season, there have been 15 NCAA postseason tournaments under Kevin O'Sullivan's instruction since he was hired in 2008. Florida has reached the College World Series in eight of them, including this year. And so this is a guy who has dominated. He's a national champion. Uh, this is an opportunity to win a second national title. And so I would say that all their success and all of their demeanor and the way that they handle winning uh, is a testament to him and, and, and his culture and the way that he runs things. I think when when you look at Coach O'Sullivan and obviously with Dan and I's experience in the in the coaching world, you know, you hear a lot from Tim Corbin. You hear a lot from, you know, Tom Walters does a lot of uh, podcasts and interviews. From my experience, obviously you're very close to it. I don't feel like I've heard a ton of Coach O'Sullivan. I don't think I've heard a ton of them talk. So kind of get really more for me selfishly, what is it like to interact with Coach O'Sullivan and be around that culture? What are kind of some of the things, the buzzwords that he talks about, the things, the core values that the programs kind of focus on? This, this is a business-oriented guy. This is somebody who you talk to and you can tell his life is about baseball. Uh, he's about winning. He's about making sure that his players are about winning. Uh, and, and it's just an all business kind of individual. And I think that that is something that has over the years uh, really been reflected in his teams. They are, you know, down to business, you know, cutthroat type guys who are just ready to go out and play baseball and win games. Uh, and, and, and that's, again, you know, it's a testament to him. And so uh, my relationship with him reflects that as well. I would say that this is a guy who really is just, a, you know, he's all business. He's telling you about uh, why it is that it's important that things unfolded the way that they did, but everything at the end of the day is baseball with this guy. Uh, and, and again, I think that that fosters the success that they've had. As dominant as they've been, and they're really, you know, outside of the one series in SEC play, they haven't really had a hiccup yet. 
And, you know, sometimes it takes some of these talented teams. I mean, we saw it with LSU a little bit, and I think you're seeing it with Tennessee uh, a bit too, just these super talented teams who sometimes need kind of the cold water splash on their face. Doesn't feel like Florida – you know, Florida's needed that at all, especially with this roster and kind of how senior laden they are and Coach O'Sullivan's experience. Was there a moment, though, this season that you kind of look back on and go, oh, that was kind of a turning point that's gotten us into this direction? Or has it just been start to finish like this is really impressive and this team's been after this from the jump? That's a great question. I think for the most part, it's been dominance from start to finish. I would say, though, that the most significant moment in the season in terms of a low would probably be late April when Florida was swept at South Carolina. That series did not go its way. South Carolina was better all three games. It was very obvious that South Carolina was the better team at the time. That allowed South Carolina to jump Florida in the national rankings, which I think was significant. And ever since then, we've seen complete and utter dominance from Florida. The biggest change since that series, however, has been the bullpen. Uh, They got dominated in Columbia, and ever since then, it's been nails. We're talking... You know, sub two ERA from Florida's top four relievers over the course of the last, you know, almost now two months. Uh, They've been great throughout the postseason. And I would also say that starting pitching has improved, especially at home. They've been really good when in Gainesville. You guys saw that last weekend in the Super Regional round with with what Brandon Sprout and Hurston Waldrop were able to do. Uh, And and so I would say that that would be your turning point if there had to to really be one. But again, I think every team's going to struggle, and we haven't seen this team have a really, truly bad stretch outside of maybe one weekend at a time. Yeah, I mean, even looking back at it, since that South Carolina series, it looks like they've only dropped four games, uh, two of those to Texas A&M, one in the SEC tournament, and then obviously the one in the regional. So, you know, you brought up the pitching staff, and, and in my opinion, the reason why I thought Florida had as good of a shot as any to win in Omaha was because of the talent alone. Um, When you look at the depth of teams that historically win you play a whole season where it's about the three guys who can beat an sec opponent and then you get to omaha and you might have to tap into six potentially seven of just starters alone let alone bullpen and one of the things that's been so impressive is the bull the the pitching rotation as a whole hasn't been exactly great it has a 4.52 era on the year a lot of walks ton of strikeouts in those innings but they've started to turn a corner here, specifically led by Hurston Waldrop. So what have you seen over the regional and then the super regional being able to tap into that depth that almost probably, at least in my opinion, gives me more confidence about the Gators going into this weekend. But what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think that the the difference so far has, of course, been Hurston Waldrop. Like you said, his performance in the postseason has been crucial. Uh, he saved Florida from an elimination game and then sent Florida to Omaha with a great performance. Uh, But I think that the key has been Florida's bullpen and how it's been utilized. They haven't had to go to them a lot due to the depth that they've gotten into the game from starting pitchers, which, as you guys know, is is critical. If you can get six innings out of a starter in in, in any big-time game, that's that's, huge, especially in this tournament-style play. But when you do have to turn to guys who are not in your starting rotation, Cade Fisher for Florida has been that guy. Ryan Slater for Florida has been that guy. And think about what they've done. They've combined for 12 shutout innings in postseason play against good schools. Texas Tech is a dominant offensive team, ranks among the top 20 offensively in most big-time categories, and those guys shut them down, and they're relievers. And so I think what really gives me a lot of confidence about Florida, especially with its pitching heading into Omaha, is it has guys who are in the pen right now who can start and give you up to what we've seen now, seven innings at a time. And so 
Uh, This is a team that's built for tournament play. Uh, It's a team that's built to be able to kind of give you those heroic type, uh, maybe unexpected starts from guys who are in the bullpen or maybe even haven't thrown at all the whole year. Uh, And that's really what sets up well. I'll I'll shout out one more guy. Uh, Right-handed pitcher Tyler Nesbitt has thrown roughly 20 innings or so this season in (laughs) games where he's thrown more than one inning. So an inning of a third or more. He has a 2.73 ERA. Mm. And they're not even going to that guy on a regular basis. So this is a team with dominant stuff, even in reserve. And and, and that just bodes so well for you in a place like Omaha. Yeah, and I, I think that, that the talent, right, is so obvious, as you said. Like, even when you have a guy like Tyler Nesbitt, who were, he's throwing 21 and a third, but clearly the stuff is there to compete. And obviously, you know, Hurston Waldrip and Brandon Sprout and, and – Jack known we all know about. I like to call him Jack Cagliotani because it's unbelievable what he can do on both sides of it. But, you know, that's why it was a little bit surprising to see them, you know, maybe not pitching up to their caliber throughout most of the year. But then they've turned it on. Has there been a, a, a change that you've been able to see in, in what they've done in preparation? Or, you know, as I look at the makeup of some of these teams and when you look at teams, you know, getting to this point in the season – one thing I always look at is is a guy like, you know, B.T. Ryopel, who's a senior catcher back there, like sometimes having that leadership, a guy who's a senior, who's, you know, behind the dish for you can really calm down that that staff and can help work those guys through innings. Is it just something as small as that or has there been a, a, an adjustment in approach or anything? Yeah, I would say that uh, and you guys might be able to appreciate this as, as former coaches for, for Brandon Sprout. Uh, he's the simplest, I think. I think that it's a guy that just gets hot and cold. When when he's on, he's on. And when he's not, he's yeah. not. And, and, and that's just the way it goes for some pitchers. For Waldrip and for Caglione, the biggest thing has been a change in usage and repertoire on the mound. And it's been critical. For Waldrip, that's been the implementation of a slider. It, nothing plays better for his splitter like that slider does. It, mm. it is able to tunnel well. He's able to throw that slider for strikes. It is a swing and miss pitch but it sets up that devastating splitter better than I think any other pitch in his arsenal. He's a four-pitch pitcher. It's a four-seam fastball, curveball, slider, splitter. Now that he's going to that slider more, I think the rest of his repertoire has been opened up in a way that it wasn't really earlier in the year, and and we've seen what that looks like. I mean, the guy struck out 25 batters and now 15 innings in the postseason. Mm -hmm. It's dominant stuff, and so that's been huge. For Caglione, it's been increasing the cutter and the changeup usage. He was going four-seam curveball a whole lot. Guys were able to key to the fastball. The curveball wasn't achieving the deception it needed to because it was kind of a 50-50 coin flip for batters at the plate. He's opened up the arsenal. He's allowing that changeup to do work for him against right-handed batters. He's using the curveball and the slider and the cutter, same pitch for him really, to be able to do that against left-handed pitching, uh, hitting, excuse me. And, and so that's been the biggest thing, I think, for, for, for this rotation. That's awesome, and and you bring up the the stuff about Waldrip's uh, pitch usage, and and one of the things. So Dan worked on the pitching side, and I worked on the hitting side, and one of the things that I I had seen on social media at at one point was his fastball usage and hitters counts, and like it doesn't matter what level you're at or how hard you throw, if teams can keyhole, especially with the data and information they have at that level and the scouting that they can do, and you can pull that up in a millisecond in a dugout on an iPad nowadays, to be able to keyhole on a 97 mile per hour fastball in a 2-0, you know, 3-1 count, it's it's destined to fail for any pitcher, no matter what the stuff. But I've started to hear a lot of people, and, and obviously people just disagree for the sake of disagreeing at times, but 
there's some people that I trust in the draft industry, and I know you might not be well-versed on that, that prefer Hurston Waldrip over Paul Skeens. And obviously Paul Skeens has been very dominant because of that, those four pitches. So kind of walk me through the emotional roller coaster of the Hurston Waldrip experience of seeing him, knowing what he's capable of, but still seeing crooked numbers at time posted for a guy as talented as he is. Yeah, I think it takes uh, so, or it has taken some time, and I don't know that this is really the case moving forward. It's taken him some time to get into rhythm in games. What's weird about Hurston Waldrip is that he struggles more in the first three innings than he does after that, fourth and beyond. He's a different pitcher than you know one through three. Uh, previously, I think that was a matter, like you said, of, of the fastball being overused in certain counts, uh, not necessarily being mixed in properly with the rest of his stuff. And it allowed the splitter to kind of become ineffective. Teams knew that they didn't have to swing at the split if they could recognize it out of his hand. Whereas now, again, with that slider, they, they aren't as adjusted to seeing something that moves glove side. And then you have the split you know, that comes out and, and, and moves back the other direction. And so his ability to be able to kind of play different pitches off of each other wasn't always as smooth as I think it needed to be throughout the season. And over his last couple starts, we've really seen that adjustment. And, and, and for what it's worth, you know, it, the MLB scouts who I've had conversations with in the most recent weeks have said that he is a different pitcher and a different prospect if this slider is going to play like a plus pitch, as it is right now, than he was before that. And, and, and so not only has that made a difference, you know, materially when we look at the statistics and what he's been able to do recently, but it's clearly making a difference in his draft stock, like you mentioned. Then we'll talk a little bit about uh, Caglianone here. You you obviously mentioned what he has done on the pitching side of things. How impressive has it been for him as a hitter to be able to do both and put 31 home runs over the fence and hit in the middle of a top five team in the country's order? Yeah, it's it's simple. It's it's this is the greatest season of all time, or at least one of them. I I, I mean. We're, we're talking about a guy who's now challenging for the BB core era home run record. He needs one more to tie it, two to break it. This is a guy who leads an SEC team in ERA and batting average against. He is limiting opposing teams to a 184 batting average on the mound, throwing 100 miles an hour from the left side. And again, you know, it, it bears mention twice, the power is historically good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, a season like this has not existed previously. This, this is the kind of campaign that would require – uh, Ivan Melendez, who was at Texas last year, Chris Bryant, back when he was in school, had either of them pitched at the same time as doing what they were doing at the plate, it would rival what's going on with Jack right now. And so uh, this has been, uh, it, I would say it's been a highlight of, of, of covering Florida this year is just being able to follow what he's been doing. Well, and the lineup's just been impressive, obviously, all year long, and especially, you know, as we've gotten into the postseason, kind of just handling business and that elimination game, really, in the, the regional championship game where you could just kind of feel them strangling Texas Tech, right? Like that offense, it was like any time a base runner got on for Florida, it was almost a guarantee they were going to get them around and get them in. Kind of what what allows that lineup to be so dynamic? Because obviously they have the three names and, and Langford who could be, you know, he could be another guy making a case for the number one overall pick. Caglione obviously with the power, but Josh Rivera too, a guy who, you know, in the past hadn't really had success. And now he's kind of blown up on the scene this year and, and you can speak on this more year around the team, but when I watch that team, it really feels like he's kind of one of those players who has that swagger that guys really, really feed off of. Even though he's not putting up quite the numbers that those other two guys are, although his are nothing to scoff at. He's got 17 homers and he's hitting the high 300s, but it really feels like his energy and his kind of 
attitude and, and the way he goes about his stuff really, you know, kind of allows that that offense to be what it is. Yeah, no, he's, he's critical to Florida's lineup. His ability to make contact in, in non-advantageous counts uh, is huge. His ability to be able to push guys in and, 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 you know, be able to put balls in gaps as opposed to just trying to, you know, rip at it and, and do damage uh, is, is also immensely good. He doesn't strike out a whole bunch. He walks more than he strikes out. Uh, Josh Rivera is a pivotal part uh, of Florida's lineup, but I would say so are the guys around him. Obviously, you mentioned Caglione and Langford are critical. Florida's leadoff hitter is a true freshman, Cade Curlin, the second baseman. He's hit more home runs this season than any other second baseman, regardless of year, so freshman, sophomore, junior, in Florida baseball history. And uh, he's wow. done that as a true freshman. Uh, that's that's potency at the top of your lineup. And it, and it does keep going as you go deeper down. BT Ryapel is a clutch hitting catcher. Uh, who's had some massive home runs, especially this postseason. I think he's, you know, seven for something, and six of his seven hits are home runs. Uh, Tyler Shelnut is is a guy who's been really consistent. I think he's got a pretty swing. And, and and the biggest question has been the bottom of that lineup. It hasn't always been so consistent with its production. But again, if you're going to get six of nine, and that's one through six being exceptionally productive, you're going to be a great team. And, and Florida has achieved that pretty much at every point this season. Yeah, you're talking about six of nine regulars have over 10 home runs. And and I know, and you've probably watched enough SEC baseball to, to understand this fully, the, the home runs are up this year. There's no denying that. But when you have multiple guys showing that type of power, it's super impressive. And that that's where I kind of want to know um, at least what your perspective is, maybe on something that the coaches are, or the guys have talked about. Is there been a shift for this Florida team? Because the Florida of the 2017s was pitching laden, uh, ride it off defense, kind of play that brand of baseball, and they could hit, and they had some guys, you know, the Jonathan Indias of the world that are currently playing in the major leagues. But I feel like this team is kind of more offense than pitching, which is what a Coach O'Sullivan team was, at least in my head, before this group kind of showed up. Has there been a shift offensively? Is it a new coaching, you know, mindset? Is it the new park? I know the wind seems to blow out there all the time. I remember the Miami weekend, Yohani Morales hit one like yeah. 550 feet, it felt like. So <laughs> what has kind of been the shift there offensively? Yeah, I, I don't know that there has been a shift just so much as they have a lot of talent who's been really good offensively and, and the guys who are talented on this team are, are geared towards being power hitters. Um, I don't think that there's been a intentional shift of any kind, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that I, I think that offense has carried this team because that's just kind of how it played out. I don't mm-hmm. know if that was the intention, though. I think that you look at the rotation where you have Brandon Sprout, who's a projected first-round pick. You have Herson Waldrip, who's a projected first-round pick. You have Jack Caglione, who next year will be potentially the number one overall pick. Uh, they, they have three guys in their rotation who are million-dollar arms for the big leagues right now. Uh, this was a team that was geared towards being able to pitch. Their closer, Brandon Neely, is an all-SEC closer. Uh, they have some of the top setup and middle relief guys in the league right now with Ryan Slater, Philip Abner, uh, and Kate Fisher. So, I, I, you know, I think that this was a, a team that was built by the Kevin O'Sullivan handbook of building good teams, and it's just kind of played out maybe a little differently than once have in the past. But, but the construction feels the same. It's funny because I feel like every time we got on here and talked about college baseball, Dan and I, uh, we would talk about how the Florida pitching was, if they get it dialed in, this is the most talented pitching staff, at least in my opinion, across the country. Stuff-wise, I don't think there's a question. 
And that's what's been so impressive about this season that they've had is offensively they've been one of, if not the best teams in the country. And you're just waiting for that pitching staff to click. And there's not many teams that can compare, you know, go toe to toe with three guys that can can win any ball game at any day, given, you know, the talent that they have, and then plus carrying a lineup one through nine. So from what you've seen with this group, do you think this is the most talented team that you've seen across the country one through nine? I, I absolutely think so. I And look, and th- there are teams that are really good. Uh, Virginia, who Florida plays on Friday at 7 p.m., we now know, Eastern time. Uh, Virginia is a really good offensive team. Uh, that 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 is a team that's going to do its business by making contact and giving pitchers fits and forcing them to be in the strike zone, and they do a great job. Wake Forest is the same way. I mean, we saw what they did to Alabama. That that's a that's a very good pitching staff that Alabama has, and and Wake Forest cut through them like a hot knife and butter. Uh, Florida has also an elite lineup. There's no question about it. I am excited to see, and I think it's one of the biggest things that I'll be thinking about as we get into Omaha. Uh, is just how good is Florida relative to now the top eight teams in the nation. Uh, I, at the moment, think that Florida is the best among them. Uh, I think that Florida really is my favorite at the moment to win the national championship. Uh, But we'll see. I think that this is going to be the biggest test that they faced all season. They're going to face the best of the best pitchers. They're facing the best of the best lineups. Uh, And so we'll see how Florida is able to hold up and kind of continue the production it's had all year. But, But heading into this, yeah, I think that this is a really dominant group. Trev and I always talk about how in college baseball there's randomness because at the end of the day we're talking about 18 to 23-year-old kids. So any college athletics, there's randomness. Um, Not to pour any salt on Florida fans' wounds, but you never know when a guy's going to pick up a cleat and chuck it from the opposing player, right? So, I I mean, there is definitely some some things that can go wrong that you just can't explain. What do you think is kind of the thing that could potentially trip this team up or who would be the toughest matchup for them to face on paper at least? Uh, as far as tripping them up, I would say that it's their ability to put the ball in the strike zone on the mound. We have seen this year that Florida's biggest disasters, and granted there have not been many of them, but Florida's biggest disasters have have come when the walks did. Uh, they start walking hitters. This is not a team that recovers well from that. Uh, Jack Caglione in particular has really struggled with walks on the road. Person Waldrip has not been immune to walks on the road, uh, and it's hurt them. They've, they have lost games as a byproduct of free passes, uh, and, and giving away bases. And so is that the kryptonite of this team? Maybe. Uh, we have not seen it rear its head many times. I mean, this is a 50-win team going into Omaha, so they've they've done just fine. Uh, but that has been a problem, especially on the road, which technically this is. Uh, you know, I think toughest matchup-wise in the first portion of the bracket in pool play, uh, I'd have to say Virginia, just because that's the only other nationally ranked seed in that side of the bracket for Florida. I also really do believe that's a good team and, and one that has a shot to win it all as well. Uh, and then overall in the tournament, it's got to be Wake Forest. I, I still don't think people give Wake Forest enough credit. Uh, that's a team that can pitch really well. It pitches in a tiny little ballpark, and its pitchers have amazing numbers. Uh, its offense can hit. Those are those are home runs in a small ballpark, but, but those are no doubters. Those are big boy home runs. Uh, and so I think that Wake Forest is a team that's really going to go to Omaha and show what it's worth. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I would say that Florida is not – the clear-cut favorite to win it all right now. There are some really good teams that are making their way to Kansas, to Nebraska right now. Yeah, and I just think it's interesting. That's what makes this you know time of year, obviously this whole tournament, so exciting. But especially when you get down to Omaha, these teams who have now been battle-tested right through regionals, through super regionals, and then you get to to Omaha, and now you you know 
the eight that have survived can kind of face off against each other. And when you look at that Virginia team, um, they kind of remind me almost on a little bit of a smaller scale of Florida, just some of the talent, not quite on the mound, but within the lineup in the middle of the order with, you know, Geloff and, and Teal. So in, in your opinion, is, is that a lineup that you think that Waldrop can kind of match up against or even even Sprout, whoever they, you know, Coach O'Sullivan decides to go with? And, and what do you kind of see as some of the big things in that matchup on Friday? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm at the moment assuming that Florida will go with Sprout on Friday just to kind of keep with rotation. There's no reason to get out of order uh, in Omaha. And I would also say that in the event Florida does lose to Virginia, you probably want Waldrop going in an elimination game too. Uh, than anybody else at the moment just because of how hot he is. Uh, but Sprout's – his success, again, is going to be determined by, A, how much he's able to live in the strike zone. Can he pound the zone with strikes and get away with it? And, B, I think it's really going to come down to how good his curveball can be. Uh, Sprout kind of lives and dies. Everybody thinks it's that 100-mile-an-hour heater. It's not. It's it's how he's able to control the curveball. Can he throw it for strikes early in counts? And if he can do that, we've seen him be the most effective because – Teams are cheating to that fastball like we talked about with Waldrip. If he is able to stay off speed and kind of dominate with the non-fastball, Sprout's at his best. And, and so we'll see you know, very quickly, first, second inning, if that's going to be the Sprout that we're going to get. Or if it's road Brandon Sprout, who has a 6.67 ERA and is all over the place and walking guys and not necessarily so effective. Uh, and if that guy shows up, you know, it could spell, it could spell fl- trouble for Florida. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, um, you know, I kind of want to talk about that side of the bracket before we get on the big picture. As you can hear my dog in the background, I'm sure for anybody listening, he's he's a huge Gators fan. So he's <laughs> wanting me to tell Jacob he said hello and go Gators. Um, but as, as we look at that side of the bracket, um, is there a sense to you that they did kind of get an easy draw on that side? Like, is that something that because at least from my perspective, not anything against Oral Roberts or a red hot TCU team, but being able to evade LSU and Wake Forest to get to the final has to be something that they're feeling pretty good about. Um, look, I, 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 I'm a kind of a firm believer that on paper, yeah, I think the other side of the bracket might be harder. You have the number one overall and number five team. It, is that significantly more difficult than what Florida's got right now? I'm not so sure. Uh, you got a team that's number seven in Virginia. They're very good. Uh, a TCU team that I actually think is probably a little underrated going into the postseason here. Uh, they were probably one of the better non-number one seeds heading into the first round. Uh, and Oral Roberts has proven that they can hang with the best of them and, and, and kind of do their thing. And so uh, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people who believes that everybody is dangerous in Omaha uh, and you don't want to really discount anybody. On paper, is Florida's side of the bracket easier? 100%. There's no denying that. Uh, but does that make it, you know, substantially you know, easier and, 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 and more you know, resistance-free to, to get to a national championship, I'm not so sure. Uh, these are the hottest teams in the country, and so we'll see you know, what Florida's able to do against them. Yeah, and I, I mean, again, the, within baseball, and I, I, can, I think you're right about the TCU thing, that the, the TCU draw might end up being you know, really tough, just how hot they've been going into this and knocking off a really good Arkansas team. Do you take into account any – any of it, and I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but you know, the SEC thing. I mean, getting the revenge on South Carolina was was really nice. But to kind of avoid some of those SEC teams where you've seen each other, you know, you know each other, is that do you find that to be a good thing or bad? Because having the comfortability of like, hey, we've played these guys, we know what they look like. Do you think that helps, or do you think the fact that you get to see Virginia 
who, hey, it's a new team. We don't have any bad taste or good taste in our mouth. It's just a, a, a blank uh, kind of canvas here uh, of a team. Do you think that's, that's kind of the better situation? Yeah, I, I will uh, quote the 16th year storied head coach, Kevin O'Sullivan, <laughs> uh, and say that comfort goes both ways. Uh, and so, you know, Kevin O'Sullivan says this, I mean, literally all the time. This is a weekly quote uh, from, from Kevin O'Sullivan. You can be familiar with a team, but if you are, they're familiar with you. Uh, and so right. more often than not, I would tend to believe that it's better to face new teams. Uh, they're new to everybody. Your pitchers get to face new hitters, but they're facing new pitchers. Uh, and, and I find that it's more of a disadvantage to face hit, for hitters who are familiar with your pitching than it is for your team to face guys who they're unfamiliar with. And so uh, in that sense, I would say that that was a really favorable part of the draw for Florida is that they don't have to see teams that they've seen already before this season. That's awesome. So let, let's get to the, the stuff that people want to hear. What would an LSU-Florida final uh, be like? How much energy would be in that stadium? What would that mean to the Gators? Obviously, being an SEC guy, how important would that be to both sides? Just from your perspective, big picture, what would that matchup in a final be like? I mean, I, I'm certain that from a fan perspective, it would be pretty electric. Uh, these are two fan bases that have literally provided record attendance uh, this postseason, so I'm certain that that would be a, a fun environment to play in. Uh, but it'd be high octane. I mean, you got Paul Skeens, who's I would say the best pitcher we've seen in college baseball since Steven Strasburg, and, and maybe even ever. This is a guy who has been utterly dominant. Uh, you have guys like Wyatt Langford, who are very much in the conversation for the first overall pick. Jack Caglione, who's the conversation for the first overall pick. Two first round pitchers, and Brandon Sprout and Herson Waldrip. Uh, it's hard to predict exactly what that would be like. Of course, I, I'm not going to forget to mention Dylan Cruz. I mean, he's a special hitter as well. Uh, th- it, it would be incredible, I think. And I, I don't even know that I could predict who would win that just because both teams have so much going for them. Uh, all I could say really is that I think it would be a three-game series and it would be one of the more memorable you know, College World Series finals that we've seen in some time. That would, I mean, a, a, a potential Waldrop Skeens matchup on the mound with guys like Cruz and Langford coming to the plate. I think that... I, you could say the same for Wake Forest, though. They have, I mean, a Rhett Louder and, and Waldrip final would also be pretty, pretty uh, fun to watch. I think too. Um, on the whole, though, like kind of overarching, what needs to happen for them to, you know, bring home another national title here? Yeah, I'll start with the mound just because we've talked about it. I think that it's about the walks again. Just if Florida can control free bases, uh, that's how it gives itself the best chance. And, and it's, there's really not much more to it. When Florida is not walking hitters, it is a really good pitching team. When it is walking hitters, it struggles. Uh, at the plate, I th- it's just kind of going to be about that discipline. How much can you lay off bad pitches early in the count? And we've seen that be a problem for Florida at certain points throughout this season, especially in that regional round when they had two kind of slower offensive performances. They were just swinging at bad stuff early, and it was putting them in a hole in the count, and they weren't able to recover well. The adjustments weren't there. Uh, one thing that has been particularly effective against Florida is sinker ball pitching. Guys who have stuff that's moving arm side and down, uh, trying to get you to kind of roll over and pound it into the dirt. Uh, Florida has not adjusted to that well. They have grounded out a whole bunch when they face those kinds of pitchers. Uh, they aren't really able to play that kind of elevated ball baseball, which has been what suited their game the best so far this year. Uh, and so I would say, you know, being able to navigate that successfully if they face it, and being able to control how many free bases are surrendered on the mound, that's the key to victory for Florida. 
And even in a setting to kind of build off that as well, what are some guys defensively on the Gators that will be fun to watch that could make a game-changing play, um, whether it be the spacious outfield of uh, of Omaha or pick up the middle that saves a couple runs? Uh, best best defender on Florida's team is probably Josh Rivera right now. I think that guy is a, a really, really smooth defensive player, somebody who I think kind of captains Florida's efforts in the field. Uh, but I think that that's kind of the obvious answer. So to give your listeners a little more excitement here, I'm going to go with third baseman Colby Halter. Uh, that is a guy who might not hit the best on the team, but he can really, really work the glove. Beautiful footwork, beautiful arm, beautiful glove work. Uh, it really honestly, and I've, I've said this before to people, Colby uh, Halter plays teaching tape worth, you know, third base. Uh, and so for, for coaches out there who are paying attention to the College World Series, that's, that's definitely a guy to watch. That's perfect. I mean, to play, to start in 48 games and play in 53 while hitting 248 for a team as talented as the Gators, you got to be holding somebody off with something. So not surprised that glove is is what it is. So obviously we, you know, you've been busy, you've been running the media the whole time. So give your prediction. I'm sure you've given it a couple of times. How do you see the Gators faring? Maybe even give a team that you're excited and potentially to see in a final. And and where do you think this thing ends up for, for Gator faithful? Yeah. You know, I have uh, all season long been very hesitant to give predictions because I didn't want to be that guy <laughs> that overhyped the team that he covered. Uh, you never want to be that guy, but I will say that I have thought since March and I really, it's actually really the first podcast I've said this on all day. Uh, I think the Gators are going to win the national championship. I really do. Uh, this is a team that is so well-constructed. It hits so well. It is disciplined. It is mature. It is experienced. Its pitching is at the best it's been all year, and we know how talented this group is really on the mound with three first-round caliber pitchers, uh, you know, Friday through Sunday. Uh, I, I just have a hard time seeing anybody really being better than this Gator team. That being said, there are a lot of teams in this field who I think are great. I think Wake Forest is super great. I think LSU is super great. Uh, even Virginia, who is on Florida's side of the bracket, is really a team that I think could contend for a national title. Uh, and so to make a long story short, I think that my pick is the Gators, but I will say that I think that this is going to be one of the more exciting College World Series that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, and that's got to get that should make Gator fans feel good. And I, I appreciate you dropping the prediction uh, on our show. I, that means a lot to us. But no, I mean, I think Florida fans should feel confident as well. I mean, I'm not around them as much as you are, but just the firepower and and, and the talent that is up and down this roster. I mean, you, you sh- they should feel very excited. And and I I agree with you. I think this is going to be a, a really good tournament here. The, the eight teams that we're going to have in this field are all going to have a a legit shot. Definitely, and and we got it. You mentioned Wake. We're we're big fans of Wake. We had a we had Les Johns who covers uh, Wake from uh, for two four seven Sports, and and he was very. We had him on before the Super Regional. So I would love love nothing more than a Gator Demon Deacon final. I mean, with the pitching that both those teams have, talent wise and production wise, with the lineups that those teams have, with how how good they've been for the course of the year. That's always been my gut feel um, of like where this thing's going to end. So I'll go out on that limb with you. Um, I have a lot of friends that hit me up before the before the um, the playoffs started, the regional started, and said 
who do you think is the team with the most value in terms of Vegas? And it was always Florida because it was like, just get these boys right and get that pitching rotation going. And, and this is a team that's as talented as anybody. So, um, but any closing thoughts, Jacob, before we let you go, maybe give our listeners a plug on, on where your work's done and obviously social media as well. Yeah. uh, Well, first of all, my final thought is I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, It's always, it's always a good time to be able to talk college baseball uh, and if you want to try and follow what I'm doing covering the Gators, you can find me on Twitter. It's just at Jacob Rudner. Uh, and all my writings over at swamp247.com. It's pretty simple. I'm, uh, I'm not in very many places, and I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, Swamp 247 is busy this time of year, so that's why we appreciate you coming on even on top of this. We all know football recruiting pays the bills, but that doesn't mean we love college baseball any less. So there's some crazy people out there who uh, to live off every second of college football recruiting, so they're not really worried about what Gators baseball is <laughs> doing right now when they had Jalen Harvey and a bunch of other four stars in for official visits this past weekend. But we appreciate you coming on. Uh, obviously we're super excited for the baseball that we have ahead and, and you'll always be welcome on here to talk Gator baseball, you know, in the next coming months and, and obviously over the next year and, and anytime you're, you're still there. So we appreciate that, Jacob. Appreciate you guys. Awesome. Well, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Um, we're going to try to produce as much content as we can as we lead up to Omaha. So stay tuned, maybe some extra episodes this week. So make sure you are subscribing to the podcast on all platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, always hitting your feet at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends. But until next time, we'll see you guys on the next podcast. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. Routine Baseball offers the best athletic leisure options going. We're talking shirts hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could ask for. Perfect for all your events and activities this summer. You headed to a game, throw on a nice routine tee and a hat. How about a cookout? Throw on some routine shorts and sunglasses. You'll be super comfortable, no sweat, perfect fit. I just got fitted in my routine stuff, and it's all I want to wear, and it's all I will be wearing this summer. And you can too. All you have to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have. And you can receive 10% off your offer today. Again, all you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10% off your order today. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. With the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, 
promo code backside groundball.